0: We don't wanna get smaller, we wanna get bigger. And that doesn't always mean then now it's 80 hours a week, but it's maybe diversifying some of your time in different ways to make the most money or investments or you know the best that you can so you can just grow bigger. Cause yeah, you can only cut and be so small and we're tired of being small.
1: Welcome to the Healthy Love & Money podcast. If you find money to be the number one, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out-of-money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have a very unique honor. I have a mother-daughter team on the show. Maggie Nielsen and Barb Provo run Purse Strings, an organization on a mission to empower women to talk about their finances and work through those inevitable fears that come around their finances. So I'm so excited to have them on the show today. Maggie and Barb, welcome.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Ed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Barb, Maggie, you it's not often that I get to work with a mother-daughter team on a mission to help empower women, especially around money. Can you tell me a little bit about how did the two of you come up with this idea?
2: <laughs> I guess I can start. Um my background is that I'm an adult educator and I was a consultant in the financial industry for 20 plus years, designing and delivering a lot of education and performance management strategies. And it was during that time Ed, I could see it was very close to um, process, procedure, marketing materials, a lot that goes on behind the scenes for financial professionals to open and run their businesses. And I could see that they were not really serving a female market. Um, and I'd consistently ask about it, but, um, you know, it's kind of fell on, you know, no for no listening. So as I navigated um, that work, as well as went through my own divorce, I met other women who were going through divorce, and they would be asking questions like, can I afford to get divorced? I never really lived on my own and paid my own bills. Do I need life insurance? And these were smart, well-educated women, and I was kind of surprised um, that they didn't know some of these fundamentals. And it, I was curious about it. And then Maggie and I—Maggie was in high school at the time. We'd run errands, uh, you know, on the weekends, and I'd see these women of retirement age, you know, bagging the groceries, or we'd run through Costco, and they'd be handing out these little uh, samples. And I'd say to Maggie, "Why?" Why are these women doing this work? You know, I was always very curious and asking these questions. And she was like, "I, I don't know, Mom." Yeah. So, um, long story short, um, we were in the bathroom drying our hair one day, and I said to Maggie, "Grab your computer. I have all these questions." And so that's where Maggie and I first became business partners. Really, she was my scribe, and we set on a mission to. You know, I facilitated focus groups, I commissioned a researcher to really dive in and say, you know, is the financial industry helping women? And how are women prepared for their financial future? And Maggie, do you want to take it from there?
0: Yeah, we held a lot of focus groups and the biggest thing women would say were their financial professional didn't even look at them. And I was just kind of astounded that these women would give their life savings over to someone who wouldn't even look at them. Um and so from there, and talking to some women just at college, I was like, I really saw the problem, um, and just you know couldn't look away at that point. And so, yeah, Barb and I really partnered up to really make our mission of helping women get educated, get some of those foundations, but then work with people who <laughs> will look at you and want to work with you and help you answer your questions to be um, your best self. Holy
1: smokes! I, like I'm having a mixture of tears and excitement. I mean, tears for the sadness that women would not even be looked at in the process of the financial conversation. Like that's, that's devastating. And yet I fully believe it to be true. It's
2: totally true. I mean, when Maggie and I uh, were facilitating focus groups, the stories that women would tell were heartbreaking, And Maggie and I would just leave shaking our heads and I said to Maggie, this has got to stop. This is all going to stop with purse strings. These women are flailing. And yet the data will tell you that women are a very powerful and financially powerful market, yet they're very underserved.
1: Hmm. I mean, there's just so many different routes I want to go. And I, you've talked about the data and everything. Something I think may have gotten missed over is or you're a trained researcher. You're, you have a PhD, right?
2: Yes, I have an EDD, which is a doctor of adult and higher learning um, and a master's yep. in business. So my whole passion is around working with adults in a learning situation to help them be, what I always say, is more confident, more competent in order to make good decisions.
1: So, I mean, you have deep knowledge and in education in, about how adults learn. right. And then, Maggie, you have your MBA, I think, if I saw correctly.
0: Yep, I do. And,
1: and so the two of you are really a power powerhouse with your educational background. I want to highlight that, not minimize it. Like both Maggie and Barb have hit the highest levels of educational attainment that back up where they're going with what, what they're doing. And I just I think that's really important not to miss. So you're hearing these heartbreaking stories of women in your focus groups. Can you share a couple of the stories, obviously protecting the identity of, of the women, but... What would you hear in these focus stories about that was just so heartbreaking?
2: Well, you know, we heard a ton of stories in the focus group, but these are stories, Ed, that we hear every day. For instance, one was a woman who said, you know, I was raised in the typical family. My father went to work and I, my mom stayed home and raised the children, and that's how I grew up. So when I had my own family, I had three small girls. Um, my husband managed the money, and unbeknownst to me, he I didn't even question it. He didn't do a good job. We went bankrupt, um, and, of course, that imploded our marriage, so we got divorced. And then I found myself you know, having to find some work to do and living in an apartment with my girls and really struggling to uh, make ends meet. And I hear that story way too often. Um, or I've heard of people getting divorced or, or widowed who didn't realize the debt that the family was in. It was the first time they learned about it. So just overwhelming and very sad stories. And I get it. Women are under a lot of uh, pressure. They take on a lot of family responsibilities. But our all-call mags, right? You need to start having those conversations with one another and knowing where the money's going.
1: I don't know if the two of you have heard this word combination. It's what I feel like I'm advocating for is financial intimacy. I'm curious, what's your reaction to that word combination financial intimacy?
0: It seems necessary. I mean, because you, you need to a be intimate with your finances. um, And then, you know, whoever you're intimate with, you need to talk about your finances together. Cause both of those things have so much to do with each other. I think our divorce rate would even go down if we started talking about money, you know, before we got married and had some of these hard conversations, Um, just because money is not something, you know, it's usually what money, sex and politics you don't want to talk about. And these are things that, you know, are essential to talk about, Um, especially if you're trying to run a household and raise a family together.
2: And I would add that, you know, we say you have to find the right financial professional because you're going to get financially naked with them because you're going to expose Mm, all of you know the ins and outs of what you what you did well maybe mistakes you made and i'll tell you the thing with women there's a lot of shame and guilt around money that's why they don't want to talk about it because they've been given really poor money messages around how they manage their money and how they should manage their money and how they spend too much money and um and really, the poor money messages, the poor money mindset has framed up this very negative connotation and connection to money. And that's why women don't want to talk about it.
1: I mean, you just hit the power combo word words in my mind, guilt and shame. And you know, I personally love the work of Brene Brown. I don't know if you, the two of you have come across her work. Oh, yeah right and you know I think she she frames shame as there's something wrong with me I am bad
2: uh-huh.
1: and guilt I have done something uh-huh. bad and, and at least from her perspective she says you know, guilt can be a motivating factor to move move the needle so to speak and repair But I don't know I, I mean I love Renee no question I'm, but I feel like guilt and shame like are with money it's just you can have so much guilt around money that like it becomes shame and it's just such a muddied mess. Is that kind of what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. It's kind of like just a revolving circle. Um, and so we just need to break that cycle in itself, you know, and just not, not give so much shame on all these different things. I was talking to somebody else who like, I don't want to go to another professional who's just going to tell me again and again, I'm not doing enough. And it's like, I don't know what, I don't know what else to do, you know, I'm working my job, I'm raising a family, like I just can't save anymore, like I I don't really want to go and be told, again, I'm not doing enough.
2: Yeah, we get those messages a lot, oh, just do this, or just start, you know, save to your retirement, you know, max out your retirement, uh, have your emergency fund, yes, we all need to do that. What we're trying to do at Purse Strings is show you how, how you can do that, you know, why it's important, but how you can do that on your limited funds. Um, And what kind of tweaks or changes you might be able to make to really accommodate for yourself. Because, Ed, you know this as well as we do. Women are going to be in charge of their own finances at some point in their life. And they need to really know these fundamental skills and life skills that we were never taught in school.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about some. What are some of the statistics out there about that that you run across or see about women and their role with money?
2: Well, there's a lot of, well, first of all, women are today a $23 trillion underserved market, and they're coming into the largest transference of wealth in history to the tune of $30 trillion. So women uh, are not a niche market, we say, women are your market. And it's so important because they're, they're going to be in c- control of a lot of money, but we don't want any sharks in the water we want to make sure women know um, how to manage their own financial funding we know that women I mean are up against you know they carry the lion's share of student loan debt and Mm -hmm. you know we can talk about that all day long right Maggie about how women they have to over educate themselves to be competitive with men at the same level, there's still a pay gap of 82 cents on the dollar. Do you want to go on, Mags, with some of the other?
0: <laughs> I, I, and, that, and that statistic is just for you know, white women versus white men, much less like any woman of color um, gets paid way less. And then you have to take the time out of the workforce to take care of your kids, your parents, you know, whatever other loved ones might be there, which we know has long-term effects on, you know, your retirement accounts and these other things. And when you take care of someone, you end up paying some of those, you know, you go out to lunch and you might end up paying or whatever that caretaking responsibility is adds up as well. And so it just comes at every kind of every point in turn. The unpaid second shift is
1: what they call it. Yeah, how is that going? From the research that you're reading, you know, the I'd like to think that I'm moving closer and closer to gender equity in my own home, and, and yet I realize there's still a gap there. And you know, trying to navigate that second shift labor, and, you know, I'm I am very much aware of how much more my wife does, and trying to get the scales balanced, and it, it's an ongoing process to try to figure out how do we get there? How do we figure this out?
2: Well if COVID hasn't taught us that women are the safety net for everything, right? They became the nurse, the teacher, the cook, the comforter. You know, they were the safety net for everything that the family needed. And many of them left the workforce because they needed to be there to care for sick or dying family members. Um, and that has set us back. I mean, Gender equity, I think it's 130 years now, is what it's gonna take for us to reach gender equity.
1: Is that, that's what some of the research is pointing to.
2: Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it was closer, um, but it's gotten further out because women have left the workforce. And they, as you well know, they leave behind contributions to their social security, any kind of match that goes to their yeah. retirement. Um, not to mention the skills that they need to stay competitive in the workforce.
1: Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest ones that I've seen is, and this is just talking to the group of women who are professionally oriented or wanting to move up the, air quote, career ladder that takes progressive investment and growth and years of development. Yeah. And when you step out of the labor market for even two or three years, five years, and your peers are continuing to, to challenge and grow themselves in the professional market space, the, the economic lens continues to value that more and more. And Unfortunately, you know, the transferable skills, skills of being a wonderful stay at home mom don't get valued back into the marketplace. If you want to go for a six figure type of job.
2: Absolutely. And, right. you know, as we mentioned a bit earlier, the, the gray divorce, that's, Um, couples over the age of 50 or 55. I mean, we see it in the news all the time, like the Gates and, you know, all of the people that we know in the media, but take a look around. Um, I'm part of that number as well. Those women, if they've been out of the workforce raising children and then suddenly they're going through a divorce, um, they really suffer uh, at their income.
1: So when you're thinking about helping women come more in contact with their financial life. What are some of those teachings, lessons, activities that that the two of you like to lead women through that help really helps them come more empowered around their financial life?
0: Well, we always start with some of the foundations of, you know, knowing just where your money is going now Um, and just taking that just as face value. It's not a judgment thing. It's just, we need to know where our money is going every month um, because then, once we know, we can start allocating or tweaking if necessary, earning more income if that's what we need, um, just to get that foundational step. Um, but then we're always, you know, ensuring that you're taking advantage of all those benefits that work has to offer. Um, it's easy to just start a new job and just do some of that paperwork to get started, but are you really taking advantage of all the you know, coverage you can get, all the matching you can get, all those different things that are technically like free money, you're already earning it. Um, So make sure you can get everything there. And then it's always, you know, make sure you have that emergency fund, um, because we know something will come up, it's just a matter of when. Um, And being part of the financial conversations um, in your household, always, you know, going and meeting with that financial professional. Um, Don't just Avoid those meetings. You need to go. You need to be there. Be active and ask questions. And if there's if you're working with someone who doesn't want to answer your questions, go hire someone else.
1: Go hire someone else. I love it. It's straight and simple.
2: Well, that's the thing, right? We tell them you need to interview the people that you want to do business with because they're going to be part of your financial team for the long term. And they, you know, someone should be asking you, what are your goals? What do you want your money to do for you? How do you want it to work for you? What is, what what are you saving for? Um, and Maggie mentioned, you know, all the work benefits, work for stay-at-home moms, one thing we realized is so many people had no idea about spousal IRAs, that stay-at-home moms can create their own retirements through spousal IRAs. And I just see these women look at me like, what is that? How come I don't know about this? And it's, it's so important for these women to know about this information.
1: I think this is a poignant question, but women have a right to know about their partner's employee benefits.
0: Yes. Of course. As a
1: fundamental right they have, I, you know, it seems obvious to me, but it's, I say it tentatively because I think that there's, Some that maybe feel like I'm not sure that I even have a right to know this information.
0: Well, I mean, we're talking about this the other week and you know, so many so many stay at home moms are like, well, I didn't earn that income. So that's not really mine to help manage. Right. But but you're running the whole household. It's the household's income, you know? And so you need to be part of that conversation that needs to help you reach your goals too. Um, it's not just his money and you're just sitting around at home. Um, (laughs) You know, that's not the way, that's not the way it works. You're, that's the household money. And you need to be part and active in that, fi- in those finances.
1: And, and I will speak maybe more directly to the men that are listening to this as well. Is It is your shared money. She needs to know what's going on and be able to know what the bigger picture is so that she can coordinate. If, if there's the gender stereotypes, man is off busy working and worrying about the investments. Well, the wife is at home busy buying all the home goods and services. And there's a big disconnect. And what I see with most mm-hmm. of life, standard, normal, and I hate even the word normal, but couples, but the husband gets really pissed at the wife for spending so much money on the family and kids because he's worried about saving enough for retirement. She's worried about keeping the kids closed and schooled and, you know, activity. But really, has no sense for how much that fully is going to impact their long-term retirement because they're not—they're so siloed about it that they just cross each other mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. And so, when we get to the, the reality that your whole financial life is a shared enterprise, mm. and while you may have one part of the responsibility, you, and the other partner takes another responsibility, they overlap. They're not distinct silos. They're very much related. And so if you kind of are in the mindset, the investments are not my responsibility or the household spending, because guys also don't really understand how much it costs to run a household. They think it, they're spending too much money, but they've never gone through Costco or Amazon or, or new yeah. grocery stores and tried to do it. Oh, by the way, with kids in tow. Yeah. yeah.
2: Who wants <laughs> I want this.
1: I want this. I want this friendship party and the, the, stereotypical mom is trying to navigate all the social relationships and making sure the kid feels included and so they want him to be at the birthday party and have the things and I don't know, does this sound familiar or am I?
2: Yeah, oh absolutely
1: Welcome to 2024 and thank you for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'd like to take you behind the scenes of therapy informed financial planning where we talk about emotions We talk about retirement plans. We talk about painful family experiences with money and so much more. There's no need to hide things that leave you feeling embarrassed or ashamed about your financial situation. This year, we watched couples and individuals work through financial anxiety and start talking lovingly about money. We saw couples and individuals take action towards their goals, like closing a business that no longer fit them, paying off debt that felt crushing, Increasing their comfort with their realized wealth and ultimately overcoming some of those financial secrets that have been plaguing the relationship. Ultimately, the best part was seeing smiles return to our clients' faces about life, relationships, and money. This is why we do Therapy Informed Financial Planning. I invite you to make 2024 the year you start Therapy Informed Financial Planning. Check the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute consultation.
2: I think you need to step into each other's world. We we just talked to a widow the other day who said her husband was, you know, matching the investments and all that, but he was not, he was very risk averse. So he took no risk and and none of their assets really had the opportunity to grow. And she didn't know what the selection was that he had chosen. Um, so had they had those conversations when he was making those selections, he just made them on his own thinking he was making the best decision for his family but they should have had those conversations. I also think the opposite is true where um, men may not know what it takes to, you know, clothe children, feed a household, all of that. You need to step into that conversation and say, you know, how much do we spend on meals? How much do we spend on groceries? You know, what do we need to allocate for children's birthdays and things like that? Just so that you have a conscious decision around what things cost and what the spending is. Maggie and I have a favorite question um, to ask couples, which is, what is the amount of money you would spend without really checking in with your partner about is this
1: okay? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And what's the rate of responses
0: you get? $50 to $50,000. I swear it's everywhere in between. And, you know, you never know like what kind of conversations you've had before that you like are both kind of going the same direction. But um, yeah, it's just, it's so varied. And then other people are like, I've never, we've never talked about it, which is also very interesting as well.
1: Right. When I think, you know, in my experience and kind of where I've landed is realizing like we all grew up in some family with some model of how to manage money or talk about it and what that's like. And then we grew up in some cultural context that gives us some ideas about where it's like, and I would venture to say most of the cultural messages are not very productive or, good modeling for how to sit down and have a productive conversation around money. We love TV shows about vilifying wealthy people fighting over money. We love TV shows vilifying people in poverty, doing all kinds of crazy things. We don't love a good show where the partners sit down and have a very empathic, curious, open-ended conversation about money. And I don't know that too many people who grow up in a family where the two intimate partners sit down and openly lovingly talk about their finances with respect and mutuality. And so like, in my mind, I'm like, well, yeah, no wonder we struggle to talk about money. We've never actually seen someone sit down and lovingly talk with someone else about money in a kind, compassionate, empathic, respectful way.
0: Yeah. We're the models.
1: Where are the models?
0: I've never seen that. Yeah. I've, I've never seen that episode of where the family sits down and has a nice family conversation. And
2: think about it, even with your partner, you, you have your own, right? Uh, experiences and ideas and learnings and thoughts about money. And then you marry somebody who, or you partner up with somebody who has their own ideas and thoughts. And, you know, and they could be very similar, they could be very polar opposite. We always say more people plan more time planning the wedding than planning their life together.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's kind of a skill to planning your life. There's a skill to knowing how to talk with each other. And there's no real formal instruction on how to do that. So that's
0: definitely, especially if you grew up in a house where every time you talked about money, it was always yelling. You might just start talking about money and just start raising your voice just because that's almost what you're used to. And then it's kind of taking that step back of like, actually, we don't need to scream about this when we have the conversation. We can be just talking and civil and it doesn't have to be a fight.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, from and I think of it just my own experience kind of on the other side is like, I just never heard them talk about it at all. So even now, mm-hmm. all the training experiences, like I go to try to talk to my wife and I'm very conversational and fluent about all this stuff. But then as soon as I go to talk to my wife about what I want or what I'm expecting, it's like, I just feel my throat kind of starting to collapse, I get like tight, and my tongue gets twisted, and all of my intelligent ideas come out as little. So it's like, that doesn't really help her know what I'm trying to get after, or Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah. trying to find that
1: middle space of just being conversational and um, is is a real challenge for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we got to start opening the dialogue, though. We we think there are some good tools. Like we have an emergency guide, which um, is a guide that couples can walk through, families can walk through, just collect information as kind of a go-to resource for the family. And we found that that's a good tool just to open the dialogue around... Huh? You know, we need to list where our assets are. Let's. Where are our assets? You know, where do we have bank accounts, and what are those account numbers, and what is the password, and um, what is the life insurance that you have? You know, at your place of work, and how much does it pay out should something happen? I mean, all of that information that normally you wouldn't have conversations about, but since it's right there in black and white, it kind of drives you through that conversation.
1: So it's its its own guide, right? Or just Mm -hmm. like what? Because I think that's something that people will often say. Well, I don't even know what to talk about. Like I hear you that we should be talking about it, but I don't even know what questions to ask. Right. And so, getting an emergency is that on your website first at first strings or where is where can people find that?
2: We can put a link in your show notes if anybody wants it.
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah, that would be wonderful because that you know I think the same for me, like when I'm starting into the financial planning process with clients is first phase is really about getting organized and just collecting information. And the the thing that I, the step I take further is asking them what feelings are coming up for you? What thoughts are coming up about yourself or about your partner? You know, what behavioral patterns maybe are you noticing showing up because there's that piece of self growing self-awareness that a lot of times it's, it is fear, it is shame, it is guilt, it's remorse, it's regret that stops people from kind of stepping on the financial scale.
2: I love that. Stepping on the financial scale. You should put that on a bumper sticker and sell it.
1: (laughs) Well, I think, you know, Maggie, you were saying earlier in the interview is like when you're working with folks on starting to look at their spending, it's like this is not about creating a space to start judging yourself. This is about creating a space to just get awareness around where is the money all going?
0: Yeah. And it's easy um, to just start judging yourself or for others. And I'm glad you shine the light on some of those questions. And, you know, what does that make you feel? Because eventually, hopefully, we can kind of move out of those feelings into better feelings. And then this wasn't this won't become a painful thing. It will become more of an empowering thing. Um, But if you never shine a light on some of those emotions and talk through them, they're going to they're going to stay there because you haven't changed anything.
1: And that's kind of what I've found, at least in my work, is I used to think about all of this as a very rational thing. Like, we'll just sit down and do it. Mm -hmm. But then when people wouldn't just sit down to do it, it left me scratching my head like, well, I don't get it. And then, you know, I realized like, oh, well, there's. Usually, challenging emotions attached to whatever thing that they're supposed to be doing. And those emotions are basically signaling stay away, don't do it. Yeah. And so, unless we can deal with the emotion, we're not going to be able to do the thing that we logically know we should be doing. And so, yeah. Because they have
2: to address a lot of things that are uncomfortable, you know? Maybe if they don't have enough money or maybe if they didn't save enough money or maybe if they made bad mistakes about money or maybe it's life insurance and you're thinking about somebody's demise or maybe you're thinking about, you know, the will and what happens, you know, here and there. And, and you know, they're, you're, you're venturing into these territories that are kind of sensitive. And I will tell you, um, huge learning is that typically men will approach these financial discussions, very numbers based on ROI and what I'm going to make on the money. And women come into it, that's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, what are the impacts of these decisions on my family, on my children, on my future, on our ability to retire? What if something happens to you? What if something happens to me? Um, Those are really the emotions and the feelings and the thought process that are going through her head. She is not gonna ask out of the gate typically what's my return on that investment? She's going to say, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Um, how will I know that?
1: It's more, it's the relational concern that they're try- women are trying to work through. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: The security.
1: The security. And it's so funny because I, I definitely see myself in that. Wanting to just instinctually say, well, the numbers will tell us whether or not you're going to be safe or not. Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, cart before force, I think, in a lot of cases.
2: Well, it's like, what does uh, security look like for you?
1: Mm. When when you ask women that type of question, what do you hear them describe?
2: Well, women would love to be able to retire, right, And, and spend time with their family. Some people want to travel, and some people will say, I never really thought about what my future, like what I want to do in retirement or about retirement. I just know that that's like the goal, but they don't know what they're saving all that money for. Because if you're saving it to travel the world, it's quite different than if you're saving it to roll around on the floor with your grandchildren who live down the block, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's really defining, you know, oftentimes they don't ask women, define really what a day in the life would look like for you when you're retired. What, what's your perfect day?
1: Ah, right. So that is asking kind of another deeper question. You kind of start with like, what do you imagine for yourself in the future? What do you want? And then they more describe it more, get them thinking about it.
0: To me, it's always like, what kind of life do you want to live? And then we'll make the money to support that rather than like, this is the money, create your life around the cash that you have. And so it just seems like, you know, what perspective are you taking it from? And to me, I'd rather tell you what I would want my ideal life to be like. And then you tell me, all right, this is what you have to do to get there. Not, all right, you save this. Now this is what you're working with, which if it was, you know, if I wanted to travel, but I only had money to really stay home, I wouldn't feel like that was a successful retirement in my eyes, you know, cause that's, I hate sitting still. <laughs> but somebody else might still just think that's a great retirement. Uh, It's all depending on who you are and what's important to you and what you want to do, which I think we sometimes forget. We just focus on the numbers.
1: Yeah, it seems like there's a a kind of a reciprocal question. Like, you know, what do you want your life to live, be like and to think about that? And then how do we create the financial resources to do that? Mm -hmm. And And then sometimes when we look at that and we see, well, this is the resources I have, and there's not an alignment between that life that I want to live in. And maybe it's you're at a point where it's like, well, that would be kind of the ideal outcome, I think. But I can see that oh, I can't save that much money to live fully that way. So then, okay, what else would be meaningful? And I think often those first visions of what we think would be meaningful are based on external assumptions about what it should be like. And then when we really get down turn to our core values, we can get a little more clarity or, or find that there's alternative solutions. So maybe it's, I would retire in a more fancy place or take five trips per year. But then you realize like, oh well, but if the value is travel and I only have X amount of money, well, okay, let me take one trip. That's like this, Right. Like I'm still going to get to travel as the value. Um, but maybe it's not quite as much as I want. And so there's always that kind of back and forth conversation. It seems like,
2: the plan. Well, you know, I like what you're saying. No, I think that's true. But how do you know, unless you're meeting with a financial professional, what behaviors and actions you're taking today are positively or negatively impacting that future if you haven't sat down and really defined for yourself what you want that to be? Because if you're living in a big house and a fancy car and you have a lot of expenses, but you want this great retirement and you work, you work the numbers and say, okay, if you want it, then you're going to need to... Get a raise or get a second job or what you know these are the actions that we'll need to take to to meet that goal but if they say i don't want to do that then what are some other things that you could do today to plan to meet that goal because you're, you're not gonna you know it's, it's a plan right it takes time over years and years and years of savings so what are the actions that you're taking today to help you live the future that you want to live or not so if you're not starting today to make a plan, which so we always say the best time to start was yesterday, the second best time is today. Um, then you're just you just have this bucket of money at retirement and you're not quite sure how you got there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so I think that's and it's, I think the other thing for people to hear is if this is an ongoing conversation with yourself and your, I like to say your future self
2: Yes.
1: Who I think I want to be in the future and who I am today. And that this is an ongoing lifetime kind of conversation, right? I mean, I can remember when I was 19 or 20, I thought my future self was going to be a fire chief. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I was, I I started out as a young professional firefighter. I thought that's who I wanted to become. And that wasn't the retirement, but that was, you know, 30 probably years. And, you know, obviously I'm not a fire chief. I've traveled many different paths. So I think, I think having that permission and courage to dream about your future to imagine it but also to realize that it's okay if it grows and changes and sometimes you have to grieve that who i thought i was going to be right there's plenty of people who think i'm going to retire into a, a relative level of affluence but then mm-hmm. you have, have those moments of awareness they didn't you know, save as much they didn't have the conversation with a partner and realize i'm not going to be able to live at that standard that i thought how do I grieve that so that I can actually live into the life that I have? Because life can live beautifully at a lot of different levels of wealth and income.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these proactive conversations, you know, we talk a lot about cutting or not making, the, not making whatever bar you wanted to reach. But when you have these conversations early, you can take that next step to earn a bit more or whatever it may be to hit those goals because so much for around women I feel like it's you know cutting things cutting back you know settling for less. where I'm just like let's go earn more let's go be bigger instead of cutting everything you can only cut so much before you just have what you have let's go bigger let's retire and then let's just earn more so we can live that life that we want to live but sometimes we do need to be proactive and start sooner because at the age of 65 it's hard to make up a lot of money
1: yeah that right and so i think that that's what's neat is you know as we go over the life cycle that that perspective of what we can make changes and if if we're on the younger side of life there's lots of window to continue to increase and change but as we move into our 60s that perspective of what we want to do and our willingness to to make track playoffs can change not Mm -hmm. for everyone but Mm -hmm. for some and so that's but, I, I, Meg, I think what you're saying is even more interesting is my, my growing sense is that for women, they do get this message that the best way to be financially secure is to cut, scrimp, and save. Yep. And get smaller. Yep. But, like, to your point, you don't build wealth by, just by getting smaller and smaller and cutting away. Like, you have to imagine and think about growth and development and investment. And, Barb, to your point, return on investment. Mm-hmm. Like what will give me a better return on my investment and whether that's how your assets, your stocks and bonds are managed or how you're managing your career, your willingness to ask for a pay raise mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: then save some of that. Yeah.
0: It's all these different things. We don't, we don't want to get smaller. We want to get bigger. And that doesn't always mean then now it's 80 hours a week, but it's maybe diversifying some of your time in different ways to make the most, um, Money or investments, or you know, the best that you can, so you can just grow bigger. Because yeah, you can only cut and be so small, and we're tired of being small.
1: Well, say that last piece again, Maggie. We're
0: tired of being small. We're w- women are have the best returns on their investment out there. I mean, we talk about these a lot of these stats that seem kind of doom and gloom, but then you look on the other side and we perform better when we invest than men do, um, because we're more logical. And uh, we kind of trade less and kind of stick with it. Um, and so there's so much opportunity out there for women. And there is so much proof of how great we can be with finances. And so, you know, we're holding the power. So we just want to make sure we're using it the right way. And
2: with women coming into $30 trillion, we are owning the purse strings of America.
1: Yeah. It feels like, Barb, I get it and I don't get it. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I don't like. I understand it, but, like, the the full significance of that, like, I think we'll continue to settle in. But, like, we're in a major shift in the way that assets are held in society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, Um, 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65 every day in the next seven years. So there's going to be that swell of baby boomers retiring, and that money is going to be inherited down. And we
0: can't wait.
1: (laughs) So I think, you know, what's, um, I think one the thing about inheritance is I think a lot of people think, well, oh, oh, but I'm not going to get $5 million. So it doesn't matter. Or I'm not going to, whatever the number is, I'm not going to get a million dollars. So it doesn't matter. But even a small inheritance, $50,000, $100,000 can really be a big cool. positive impact in people's life. Right. Yeah. And right. And if you're not prepared to know how to manage even a small windfall, you can look down the road two to three years after you get it and be not in any better shape, maybe even a little bit worse shape. Yep. And so even if you're not expecting to get a large inheritance, no reason not to continue to learn. How do you manage money? Well, how do you manage, what do you do when you get even a small inheritance, a small transfer of wealth?
0: Any advice
1: for women when, you know, just for them to be thinking about or things they can do as they can just know, like, I may not be getting a huge, huge inheritance, but I'm gonna, I may end up with something. How can they be ready to receive that?
2: Well, first of all, you need to work with a trusted advisor. Second of all, I wouldn't tell a lot of people about it because unfortunately, and I've heard this from widows, once a widow uh, told me that she got a, a life insurance check and people start asking them for money. Um, and they give it, they, women will give their money away because they, they feel guilt for getting that money sometimes or like they don't deserve it. Um, and I had somebody who did get a life insurance check. She did get remarried and then that money was gone and she got divorced second time, uh, with her second marriage. So it can be very, um, unruly to get that kind of money. So you really have to make sure you have a trusted professional, in your, uh, in your court to help you make really good financial decisions about what to do with that money um, for yourself and for your future? Because it's, it's usually a one-time event. We typically don't get a lot of inheritance. So when you do, it's a, typically your opportunity, right, to leverage and use that money wisely.
1: Yeah, I mean – you might get two inheritance, one from your mom, you know, one side of the family and one from the other, maybe, right. Maybe there's not going to be a reoccurring experience every two or three years, multiple times over. So you talk about, and you know, as we kind of bring this interview to a close, you've mentioned several times finding a trusted financial advisor in your experience and perspective, what are some things that people can be looking for when they're looking for a trusted financial advisor?
2: Well, we always say you need to interview them. Um, and we do have kind of a list of questions you can ask. Um, we, you should never go uh, with somebody who says, oh, my brother-in-law's father's a financial planner. He might be great. Um, I wouldn't just go there. I would interview, right? So, uh Tell me about how you, um, how you do business, will I be working directly with you or are you going to pass me over to your associate you know, when I have conversations? How often can we meet and talk to one another? Um, I love texting, can I text you if I need to get a hold of you? I don't do email, do I have a choice? Um, how often will, will, we, will we meet? What do you charge? How much is it going to cost me to work with you? Um what other services can you provide for me outside of just financial? Can you help me with a will? or do you have people that can help me with my power of attorneys? Um, you know, do I need uh, an advisor for just myself? or you you know talk to my husband as well? How do you work with couples? I mean, really, are you a fiduciary, really asking these types of questions and seeing if there's a vibe um, with that person and if they answer your questions fully.
0: And then I always like to throw on there, you know, ask about your specific situation. You know, I'm a high, I have a, I'm one of those people who's going to be earning a great income, but still carry a lot of student loan debt. Are you used to working with somebody in that situation? Or are you really focused on people who are widows or going into retirement? You know, there's something always about me that when uh, people say they can help everyone, I'm really looking for someone who can really specialize and help me in my situation and will know this in and out and know these great details to help me in my big student loans versus somebody else who's going through a divorce and understanding those nuances. Um, And so find someone who understands your situation because we all are unique. And as much as we kind of think we're all cookie cutter, we're not. We have our unique situations and we want someone who can really help us with that, whether that be you know, family who has a loved one with special needs and understanding that portion or, you know, having, um, you know, a same-sex couple. Do you know how to plan for some of this family planning? Um, I want to make sure you can really cover all those things and and really help me to my maximum um, as well.
2: Yeah, and we say cookie cutters are only good for making cookies.
1: <laughs> no, and I think you're right. It's there's, and I, you know, working in this work on continually amazed at you know, the diversity of different financial circumstances and services available and when you work with someone that specializes mm-hmm. either in student loans or same-sex marriages I've just learned about someone who works specifically with a child free community and their unique planning needs there you go right and so
0: yep because I mean, then you don't have anyone to take care of you in your old age and so then like uh, elder care planning is like absolutely essential. Um, and so you just need to make sure that's factored into the equation. It's not right or wrong, it just needs to be included.
1: Yeah, and I think I wanna bring this, as we bring this to a close for today, make sure they can look you in the eyes.
2: Yeah, now, yeah, I guess
1: <laughs> take it away from this. If your planner cannot look you in the eyes, go find another planner.
2: You got it.
1: Eye contact, right, it's it yeah. horrible, wow. Maggie and Barb, thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world to help continually empower women. Um, we will have the show notes people can learn more about. Can you just, before we hop off, can you tell a little bit about um, Purse Strings, what they can find on your website, why they would might want to check that
0: out? Yeah, so Purse Strings has a bunch of tools and resources to help you kind of get some of those foundations. We have a great guide of where's your money going, just to figure that out. Um, But then we have a list of top tier financial professionals. We call them our purse strings approved professionals who have all been vetted and approved by um, Barb and I, who, you know, really focus on serving women, will look you in the eye, um, really have your best interest in mind and want to really help empower more women. Um, And those can be just money coaches, uh, financial advisors, attorneys, realtors, lenders, all these different people. Um, And I know, Ed, you have become part of our network, which we're so excited about to have you as a Purr Strings approved professional. Um, And so it's really that trusted resource, almost like an Angie's list of financial professionals for women. Um, So we're here for you. Um, Let's jump into the conversation and really own our finances.
1: Maggie, Barb, thank you so much for your time and generosity today. Have a great one.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Ed.
1: I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money at